Hi, welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I am your host, Laura Max Rose, and today my guest is another podcast host. This is Julie Weinstein of Hashtag No Filter. Welcome to Look Ma No Hands. I'm so excited to be here. So I think I'm a little more excited because Julie and I have been friends now for about five or six years. We were connected by a mutual friend, and Julie is probably one of the main reasons why I decided to start Look Ma No Hands, as I was rocking Violet in the nursery when she was first born. I'm sending her a bunch of voice notes and um, telling her about my funny experiences. She's not a mother herself, but she's one of my favorite people to talk to about motherhood, because she's that kind of person who can just make you laugh and really relate to anything you're going through. And I said to her that I was thinking about starting a podcast and Julie always is so gung-ho about my ideas that I almost didn't believe her when she told me it was a really great idea. So I had to survey a few other people um, and then I realized, you know, they they agreed with Julie. So I decided um, to go in that direction. But Julie is fascinating, animated, and so special. She has been through so much in her life and is so open about all those experiences. Recently, she celebrated a five-year wedding anniversary with her husband, Matthew, and is very open about how they almost didn't make it to that anniversary. And after um, an extensive amount of therapy and talking and growth as a couple, they're actually stronger than ever. And I just so admire that she's been able to share that journey with her followers because I think so many people can relate to her story. And there's really nothing she won't talk about. So I'm so happy to have you here today, Julie. Thank you so much. I am so excited. And I just want to paint the picture for everyone. We have Diet Coke and champagne (laughs) (laughs) happening right now. (laughs) So if you follow Julie on Instagram, you know that Julie loves Diet Coke, but it has to be very, very crisp. And she also, her podcast, Hashtag No Filter, the name stems from, you know, giving all of her guests an exorbitant amount of wine. I'm just kidding. She only gives you as much as you want. But there is a wine glass in the logo. She does get you to say things you might not say otherwise. So I thought that since she was our guest, we should have some champagne here in the morning. Exactly. Who needs the OJ, right? Yeah, no, none of that. Thank you so much for having me, though. I'm really excited to be here. So tell me a little bit about your journey that you've been on the past year. You're about to move to Florida. Yep. (laughs) Okay, so tell us why and tell us what's happened that's led you to this moment. Yeah, so um, uh, my husband and I, as Laura said, we're about to get separated and, you know, on the verge of then divorce. And we started going, I'm, I'm a big proponent of therapy. I've been in and out of therapy, you know, on and off, been going for over a decade. And I'm I'm all about therapy and mental health. And so my husband and I um, were struggling. We were just like in a really like, we were like roommates. We were just, it was, the marriage was stale. It was flat. There was, there was no passion. There was nothing. It just kind of fell flat. And so I was going to therapy and then I finally brought him in. And so we started doing couples therapy and this therapist, these sessions changed my life, his life and our marriage. And as you said, we are stronger than ever and and we are now moving to Florida. So for um, a business opportunity for him, but I moved to New York for a little while. We did long distance. Um, we were going back and forth. I mean, it was, oh, it's been an emotional year. <laughs> you moved to New York while you guys were still married yes. because you thought you were mm-hmm. going to be getting divorced. And then uh, at the 11th hour, everything changed. And I think it took me making the decision to go to New York and, and taking that big step and it, for things to be like, holy shit. Can I curse on your podcast? Oh, of course. Okay. okay. Holy, cause mine, yeah. Holy shit. Like this is falling. We, we never stopped loving each other, but it just, what kind of marriage was it? And now it's literally better than ever. It, it, I'm so grateful, but it's been a year. So what was that moment for you? Well, you had moved to New York yes. and you decided that 
all of a sudden you felt all these crazy and love feelings for your husband, which I, yeah. I have to be on. I mean, for the time that I had known you, it was always, there was always something going on. Mm-hmm. We didn't really talk that much about right. your marriage. Right, right. But all of a sudden, Matthew became like your boyfriend that you just met. Um, I was dating my husband. And no one expected, <laughs> no one expected this because you were really, I mean, you were, you were, t- you told me we're getting separated, yeah. but it's ultimately, this is where it's leading. Yeah. And, and I had no doubt that that was where it was going. Oh, everyone. I mean, I, I mean, tell everyone, but anyone that knew agreed. And I, we were shocked. Our families were like, what? Like our therapist, I think wants to write a book on us because we were literally getting divorced. We were getting separated. We, I, I got a, an apartment in New York for a year lease. I still have the apartment. Does anyone want to go stay? Like it's, I mean, it's been like the biggest like waste of money. No, it hasn't. It's all meant. It, <laughs> it was it, it, so worth it. It was so worth it. But so it was two weeks, two and a half weeks before my lease was already signed, but I hadn't moved yet. And we were, I remember the moment exactly. We were sitting on the couch. I don't even think I've said this on my podcast. We were sitting on the couch and I was looking at him and we were talking and I like, something came over me and we were just starting to have this really great conversation from like our conversations in therapy. And I was like, Oh my God, I love, I can't lose him. And I I think I like went over and like kissed him. Like, and then we hadn't like, I'm not going to get into those details on your podcast because I know it's not about that, but like it was sexless for a while. Like there was not passion. And then this moment, like it all changed in a moment. Like, I mean, not in a moment we did a lot of hard work, but in that moment I was like, Oh my God, my husband. And then we were like, I was dating my husband. I was like, Oh my God, this guy, like, wow. So you felt like maybe you needed that space, like to be in I, New York to and really the real, see, get it, some perspective. Cause I wasn't life. even fully in New York yet. So I think it was also just the realization, like, Oh my God, I might lose this guy and he's amazing. And we have something. It's just, it got lo- Something fell flat. Was it kind of like the way it was for you guys in the beginning or was it a whole new thing? Oh, I think when we like repaired every, everything, it, it was better than it was at the beginning. Like it, because we already had this foundation and we had like this depth and we were talking and communicating and marriage is hard work. So like anyone who says it's not like, I don't know who they are. Like that's not, it's hard. It's work. It's anything good in life is work. And this is, and this is work. (laughs) So you're one of my favorite friends, maybe because you don't have children because we can talk, I can talk about motherhood with you. And there's this like total lack of judgment because you haven't been in the situation that I've been. Um, but dare I ask, is this something you would ever endeavor on having heard my stories or are you like, you know what, Laura can just do that on her own. And I'm going to sit here with my wine. Right. I I will say like giving up wine for nine months is petrifying to me. No, that sounds ridiculous. It's a challenge. I'll be honest. I appreciate those who are pregnant that admit that it's a challenge that they're like, look, I would love to be going out and drinking wine ever. It's all worth it that I'm having a baby, but I'm not going to lie and say I don't want wine. Like I appreciate whenever you said that. Um, we'll see. Like, I definitely think now that we're going to be getting settled in Florida, it maybe is something we'll talk about. We're both really like now that he's starting this new um, business or this, he's working with this new or his new company. Now it's, it's, uh, it's not the time. Like we're not going to do it anytime soon. We might get a dog soon, but I will see. Like we love kids. I just don't know. Like I still don't know, but I I look to you and I'm like, you're this rock star mom. And I know you're gonna be like, no, you are this rock star mom. You, you, you have your hand. Look, Ma, no hand. I mean, you have your your hands are full. You can't even use your hands, and you you make it look kind of like amazing, like you do. Okay, I'm trying something new, and I'm just gonna say thank you, Julie. I really appreciate that. I believe you. She's dying inside. <laughs> no, you know, I've actually. I'm so glad you just brought this up because I have had this repeated experience these last few weeks where I've been with my three year old daughter, and someone has come up to me either in the carpool line or somewhere and given me a compliment. You look beautiful today, or I I'm so excited about your podcast or 
um, I don't know how you get your girls to school on time. I'm struggling so much with it. And I'll respond with, oh, come on. I look ridiculous every morning. Or, um, oh, are you kidding me? I did my makeup in the car. Or, yeah, it looks like I have everything together, but it's just smoke and mirrors. And I swore I would never do that in front of my kid Mm -hmm. because I really do believe that, like, we can tell our children that they're beautiful all day long, but they are watching us and they're watching how we feel about ourselves. And it's this social nicety that doesn't make any sense. When somebody gives you a compliment, you tell them, oh, um, you know, that's not true, right? It's almost rude. Some people think of it as rude. And I know that's been built into my brain. Mm -hmm. Um, I've watched my own mother do that. I've watched so many other women just deflect. And to to say thank you, it's like your children will challenge you to be the best person that you can Mm -hmm. be. So my challenge to myself um, today, starting today is that I'm just going to try to say I love that, you. but it's hard. Like, I don't know what it is. Why, why is that the case? Cause I'm the same way. If someone's like, Oh, your hair looks great. Or, oh, stop it. No, it you doesn't. You went and got your hair done. It's like, well, yeah, I know. Yeah. Thank like you. of course it looks great. Or like, Oh my God. You know, the best, like, Oh, you look, did you lose someone? No, no, no. Oh my God. I'm the heaviest I've ever been. Like literally that's my, yeah, you know, that's and, the response. And I don't know why we do that, but I love, I, I might challenge myself to do that. Just say thank you. And just to say thank you and <laughs> yeah. really take it in. Yeah. Because I also, I mean, my daughter watches me every morning mm-hmm. trying to get all of her stuff ready to go to school and it's clearly a very big effort and then she watches me tell somebody else that I hardly did anything mm-hmm. which isn't true mm-hmm. and I can only imagine you know the synapse in her brain just seeing like me doing this one thing and she's only three years old so there's the wonderful thing about children is that they're so resilient so when we realize these things about ourselves as parents every day is a new day yeah I always say to Selma you know let's start over how can we do this differently there's going to be meltdowns. There's going to be times where we do things that we wish we'd done differently. Right. But, hey, okay. Let's start over. What are we going to do differently this time? Right. So for me, it's like, okay, let's start over. It's not the end of the world. I love that. Let's start I, over. Let's start pivot. over. Like pivot. just pivot. I, I, pivot's been a big right. thing that I'm like, I bring up whenever, whenever it fits into a conversation. Wait, I want to, can I turn the mic on you? Because I think it's just the podcaster in me. Oh, and I just so want to ask you questions. Absolutely. So I'm so excited about this podcast and, and what you're doing. And I'm just, I mean, you know, I'm like your biggest fan and, and you your husband's biggest fan. And I just think you guys like are just like the perfect little family. And I know just say thank you. Thank you. (laughs) No, anyway. So can you like, I would love to hear, I'm not a mother, but I obviously am going to be listening to your podcast because I love you, but also because anything you talk about, and I've said this to you before relating to motherhood politics, and I'm not a huge political person, the way you write it and speak it is so articulate. And I, and I'm interested in it, even though I'm not, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not a mother, but I'm still interested in what you have to say about motherhood. So do you think non-mothers are going to be listening? Do you want non-mothers to listen? Like, can you, I want to hear more about your podcast. Well, that's absolutely my hope. And my big concern with the title of my podcast and the tagline, which is dispatches from the front lines of motherhood was that people who aren't mothers would be turned off and think that they can't listen. But then I thought about something that really affected me, which was uh, there's an author, Glennon Doyle. At the time, she was Glennon Doyle Melton, and she's now very famous. And she had a um, a blog called Momastery, which everyone read, everyone shared. You're, you know what I'm talking yep. about. And her writing is just brilliant and so relatable. And I think it was when I got engaged that I started reading what she was writing. And she was writing extensively about motherhood, but she was writing about being a human being and struggling in life and, mm-hmm. and overcoming those struggles. And she was writing with such humor, I was laughing out loud. And I knew that eventually I wanted to have children. And I would write about the way she dealt with motherhood. And I was so inspired by that. So that was like the first blog slash audio recording that I Mm -hmm. um, 
that made me interested enough to start my own blog. And that's always, she's always been such an inspiration to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that ideally, you know, the word ma or motherhood isn't going to turn off somebody who isn't a mother from listening to this Mm -hmm. because before I was a mother, I was a human, I was a woman. And, um, all of my, all of what I try to share with other people is stuff that has, helped me in my life or stuff that has helped me overcome something in my own life. Mm -hmm. Um, I really want to, you know, one of my goals on this show is to um, interview a psychiatrist and a psychologist who've helped me overcome postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. I've had it with both of my kids, two completely different experiences. And yet both times I had this happen to me. And after the first time it happened, I really was told by a lot of people and a lot of, um, websites where one gets reliable information that I would be able to avoid having it a second time if I did certain things and um, get I, I ended up getting it again and so it sort of was this double whammy because I thought well I've done all this stuff and I'm still struggling like this I felt like I was a failure again and it was the whole experience of like of emotions before I ended up getting on the medication that's helped me become a thriving individual again, which I deserve to be. And the big roadblock for me around postpartum depression is that I feel like I am somehow earning some sort of badge of courage by choosing not to medicate myself when I'm really depressed. I feel like I'm going to overcome this. This is a spiritual hurdle. I start reading a lot of like books in the spirituality section of Barnes and Noble (laughs) thinking that this is something that I need to overcome in order to like earn my stripes. And like depression isn't a religious issue. It's not always a spiritual issue. There have been times in my life for me where it has been a spiritual issue. So I did get quite confused when I had postpartum thinking, okay, this is some sort of like disconnection that's going on for me. Um, there's something in my life I'm not dealing with and maybe that's why I feel depressed. Um, but that certainly wasn't the case with this. And so I really want to just expose the information that has helped me overcome things that I think women, whether mothers or not Mm -hmm. have struggled with so much and where the information that's given to us is all, Hey, if you do all of these things at once that take 40 hours to do in a 24 hour day, Mm -hmm. you'll be okay. And I'm just so tired of that. Yeah. I, I love, I, well, cause I think like so many of the things you talk about, like it, regarding motherhood can be, are so similar to things I deal with, not in terms of motherhood, but maybe my, if, you know, feeling less than or feeling that I can feel those things too, even though I don't have kids in a different way. So I think non-mothers are going to benefit from this. Well, thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Look thank at you. you. You're really practicing what you preach. Thank you. <laughs> So there's something else I wanted to actually ask you. I, can't, I don't know if you've already mentioned this on the podcast, but you told me something about Facebook. Did you already talk about some podcast about how you were kind of had an interesting relationship with Facebook and politics? Was it last year? I haven't talked about this. I yet. found that so interesting because now you're 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 on right you're back on but you would like avoid reading. So I no, you said. Um, it was actually it wasn't avoiding reading. It was that. Um, I have a political family. My husband's running for office right now. And um, I was very, um, I was very outspoken about my political views for a while. And what I found was that those posts were actually, they were actually alienating some of the people that I love most in my life because shocking as this may be in this modern world, a lot of the people that I love most in my life don't share the same political views as me and that's okay. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that I was alienating those people. That's not who I am. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make room for a kind of conversation that we're not having anymore in this country, which is, can we all recognize that we are coming 
from the place of trying our best. Mm -hmm. We're all trying our best for the most part to be good people. No one is actively trying to do harm um, unless they're a sociopath. And most of us want what's best for our children, for others, for the world, for the planet. We just have a very different idea of what that means. Mm -hmm. And if we can come from that perspective, we can change the conversation that we're having. I think it's in the interest of the media and our current political body for us to be at war with each other. But I don't Mm -hmm. think that that's how most people feel. And I don't think that that's what most people want. So what you're referring to is that I did take a step back from sharing some of my views, even though, you know, I've been told by a lot of people, and there is a narrative out there that, if we don't speak out for the voiceless, who will? And as a Jewish person, especially, I very much, mm-hmm. I, I feel that in my heart. Um, so I do struggle with that. And I try to speak out when it when things need to be said. But I do my best to be inclusive in my speech because I don't want to, inal- want to alienate somebody who will read what I say and immediately think that I'm somehow discluding them or I'm not willing to hear their perspective. Right. Because I, I think that the only way forward is to have room for a constructive conversation. And um, so you were asking me this question. One of the reasons for starting this podcast, um, when people ask me what this podcast is about, I'll say it's it's about motherhood and politics and everything in between. It's because I think politics and motherhood have a lot to do with one of each other. They a lot to do with each other. They certainly do in my life. And I, I also aspire to have conversations with people on the other side of the aisle from me. So that hopefully people can hear about the similarities in our opinions. We have enough media out there that's telling us how different we are. Um, We need voices that are willing to have the kinds of conversations that can bring us back together because I do believe that's the only way forward. 100% agree. And you had, I, it's crazy like the the things I remember. I remember you told me something about Ben, your husband, that he, when he, you know, sees someone maybe wearing a hat or something of of something he doesn't necessarily believe in, he did, he go, he actually wants to go up to them and talk to them and come from a place of curiosity, right? Yeah. So this was a funny conversation I think I had with you. Um, we'll, we love taking road trips. Mm-hmm. So we'll be driving through small Texas towns and we'll see people wearing make America great again hats or their store that stores that sell bumper stickers that, you know, say make America great again. And I was telling somebody, you know, when my husband sees somebody wearing that hat, he approaches them. Mm-hmm. And I think it was you who said, Oh, it's like, like he, is he heckling them? Right. No, he goes up to them and he starts asking them about their yeah. viewpoints and how did they arrive at the conclusions that they have and why do they mm-hmm. love Donald Trump? And he, um, usually ends up ending the conversation with a hug or a handshake. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, somebody will tell him, you know, I don't vote for Democrats and I never have. And my, my, my mother would roll over in her grave, but I'll vote for you. And like, I just got chills. he really is able to extract from those people, this kindness where like their reason maybe for choosing something that somebody on my husband's side of the aisle would think of as, you know, appalling um, is actually like full of heart, as hard as that is yeah. for some to believe. But I love that. And like, that's how we come together is by being brave enough to have those conversations. Now I'll go hide under a table or a chair because I want to die when he does this. And then of he course. ends up walking away from the conversation with like a new friend. I mean, so I really, I'm really inspired by that. And my husband has definitely been a source of inspiration for me as far as this podcast goes um, in bringing us together. I think like, imagine if everyone could do that, like just come from a place of curiosity. It's funny, not in, the regard of like seeing a make America great again hat. But when I was going through my stuff with Matthew, with my husband, I, 
I would hear, I would have people that would ask me questions and I've talked to you about this, I think, uh, and they would come from, it would sound like they were coming from a place of judgment or like, kind of like, what the hell are you doing? And then I would have people that would ask me like you that came from a place of curiosity. And there is a huge difference. And I wish more people like less judgment and less just like, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Like, give me a chance to explain it to you. And we aren't getting curious because we feel so offended. Mm -hmm. That's why we're not being curious. Like I am a Jewish person. I have watched people go on state on watch people walk through North Carolina and say Jews will not replace us I mean as a African-American person in this country as a Mexican in this mm-hmm. country as pretty much anything other than a white Anglo-Saxon mm-hmm. Protestant in this country you've heard venom coming from this administration or coming from the people who support this administration yeah. and so I can imagine you might be listening to this thinking like there's no room for curiosity or kindness like these people want to kill me and I completely <laughs> listen. Right. Right. I completely understand that and I have felt that way many many times I think that the hatred is a cover-up for fear And I think if we're willing to put our egos aside, even when we're being offended and come Mm -hmm. to the table with curiosity and a willingness to get to, to come to a mutual understanding, that's our, really our only way through this. Absolutely. I, I talked to, about it in therapy a lot and it, just about people. It's not about you. Like it's, it's about them and their own insecurities and their own feelings. And they might be, they're coming from a place of fear. Like, no, no, but that's not how the world's supposed to be. Okay. But maybe like, why don't you hear my side? Like hear what I have to say about it. Whether it's Ben, you know, asking the, the man that you were in Middletown, wherever, like, well, tell me how you came to this decision, this conclusion. Like, let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation conversation it's communication is everything and I have to tell you those people wearing those MAGA hats they've never had somebody do that before right and I I was with my husband the other day and we ran into um we ran into these two um I was about to say two adults like we're not adults but they're older than (laughs) us they're our friends parents (laughs) and they're very very politically conservative and Ben immediately gets into a conversation with them during which I just wanted to like throw up and like hide and vomit and just I was so uncomfortable and um, he was having he had an hour long conversation with them and, and was very honest about, you know, his opposing views. And they had this very, very forthcoming exchange. And after which I thought these people are never going to talk to us again. And we told them that we don't really agree with them about anything. So I think it's all over. And we found out later from their daughter that they had gone home that day and said, you know, we had such a lovely conversation with Ben. Oh, my God. And, you know, he's so respectful and, and we really love talking about politics with him. And we had absolutely nothing Right. In common. I mean, politically, we couldn't have been further apart. See, that's inc- That's why Ben needs to be president of the United <laughs> States of America. <laughs> yes, Ben for president. Um, oh I my god! It. But that's that's such a nice thing. It like, was awesome. ima- that, what a compliment! What a like that's a feel good. That's amazing. Thank you. That's amazing. No, I think I love. <laughs> but so what I I don't know what I was saying a few minutes ago that I yeah. So while you and I are different in the sense of I don't have kids. I'm not as, you know, well-versed in the political arena. I know I should be. But, you know, all of that, like I, when you have something to say or write, I I read it. Even if it's a topic that I don't really, like, I I love Selma and Violet. And I, I think it's great that Selma did X, Y, and Z. Or like, I'm sorry that she ended up not being able to sleep and Peppa Pig, you know, whatever. But I still love reading about it because it's like coming from you. And, and you're just such a smart, intelligent, articulate person. Say thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's going to be the theme of this episode. Oh my God. Just say thank you. <laughs> Just say thank you. Exactly. So let's turn the tables back around again, okay. Ms. Weinstein. <laughs> you have just reached, is it 58 episodes of Hashtag No Filter? Oh, you're so good. I th- I should know this. 54. 54. Close. Okay. And you have interviewed some pretty incredible people. I don't know if any of y'all have heard of Wander Beauty, but I get their ads in my feed like 90 times a day. I love them. You oh. interviewed the CEO and founder? I, uh, the two, the co-founders. The co-founders. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've, it's I definitely I actually wrote this in my Instagram yesterday. Like it's been such a wild kind of I started the podcast in January of 2018 and a lot of people are like, how did you get so and so on the podcast? How did you how did you get them? I literally just emailed them like the worst that happens is they don't respond or they say no and you move on, you brush it, brush it off and move on. And that's literally how I've gotten some of these guests. But I've some of the best episodes and some of the ones that resonate the most with people are like the Wander Beauty co-founders or Obey Fitness co-founders, or people that have had their story of starting their own thing, whatever it is, entrepreneurs. People is there a it. commonality you found between all the people who have started a successful business that you've gathered from interviewing them? Is there something they all have in common? What a great question. No one here, <laughs> podcaster. That's a good one. Um, yeah, actually. I, well, I would say a few things. A lot of the times, because I some of the questions are always the same that I ask because I want I want to hear that answer to each question from each guest. And so when I ask, you know, the best piece of advice you've ever been given, one very common, there are two actually that are pretty common. One is... Um, don't look actually you were just talking about this don't look to your left or your right or front or front and behind just focus on yourself stay in your lane lane. and you were just talking about before we recorded how if you look to your left or your right you're gonna get muffled and you're gonna start playing the comparison game focus on what you're doing and focus on what you do best and then going off from that is outsource the rest you can only that's a huge one that you you can only do so much there are only so many hours in a day and do what you do best and outsource the things you don't or, or find a co-founder or a partner who can do the thing like where your strengths are their weaknesses and vice versa. So that's something that outsourcing I think is super important. This, I've had a lot of projects in my day, but this is probably the one that all the projects have been building up to. Mm -hmm. And I looked at, I've looked at it so much differently than everything else I've ever done. I've always been this like one man band, um, for everything that I've done. And that's mostly been financial. I'm like 24 years old and I have one tiny salary job and I really want to do this or that. I'm going to do it all myself and figure out how to do it based off of you. To. But as time has gone on, I find myself in this situation where I'm not I'm not going to be as good as at, at, at editing this as somebody who's a professional mm-hmm. podcast editor is. So the only thing that I'm doing is I'm interviewing my guests. I'm finding my guests. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write, you know, a blurb about what the podcast is about. I'm going to title it. I'm going to promote it on social media. Those are my strengths. Yeah. The editing, the I come to a recording studio to do this, the intro music, the the graphics, the design, right. the logos. I'm, I've done all of that at CKO Digital, where we exactly. are right now. We love them. We <laughs> love them. Um, shameless plug for CKO yeah, Digital. They did my cover. They're the best. So if you, you know, because I'm focusing on what I do best, I'm able to let other people do what they do best instead of half-assing that stuff exactly. and having it all kind of look eh. And so that's been a huge, that's been one of, I would say one of the common themes is that. Yeah, super important. And the staying in your own lane thing, my husband is now running for office for the second time. But the first time he ran, um, we just spent the whole time and this was sort of just the nature of his campaign, like looking to the left at or the right rather (laughs) in the situation, (laughs) looking to the right at that or at his opponent and trying Mm. to figure out like, what is she doing? And we were always Mm. talking about it. It was like being in like a lunchroom where you're talking about what somebody Mm -hmm. else is doing and what they have going on. And instead, I think it's just so important to, you know, now this, his campaign this time around is just so much different. He's looking at what are my strengths and they're so much different than his two opponents and just focusing on that. The second we look at what his opponents are doing on Facebook, on social media or whatever, we get sidetracked. Should we be doing that? Are Mm -hmm. we doing the right thing? And then we spend a day obsessing over that. And that's a day that we've lost to do what we do best. Exactly. And there's just a lot of lost time spent comparing yourself to people. 
there are going to be a lot of people out there trying to do what you're doing. And some of them are going to be better at it. Some of them, it's just going to be different, but you need to focus on what you're good at. Exactly. And it's hard though, especially with social media and like, you know, being on whether it's a podcast or you're running for office, whatever you're doing, it's hard to not look at other podcasters or other people that started their podcast after me, but they're growing faster than me or whatever it is. It's really hard not to, not to do it. Like you have to really actively tell yourself, okay, I'm not going to look at this person or this person. I'm focusing on me and what I do best. (laughs) Absolutely. I think that's so important. It's hard though. It's, I know you said you were turning the mic on me, but I, now that social media was just mentioned. So in terms of social media with, how do you feel social media? Like I have a very strong love hate relationship with it, specifically Instagram. I'm in, I'm in love at the moment, but I like, I went off Instagram as you know, for like, it was like a week, but I, I, I just had kind of lost it with yeah. Instagram. So what is, what's your current stance? In social well, media? so I have like 1245 followers, which for somebody who's starting a podcast, it's a nice place to start. I'm not starting at zero, but it's not like I've been building up a following since Instagram came out like many. So when you talk about like competition, and the people next to you swimming in the other lanes like yeah. I'm definitely starting further down the further down I, I got a false start or whatever you want to call it I jumped mm-hmm. in the water a little bit later right and um I I sort of look at it as like as long as I am genuine and honest and authentic with what I'm putting out there I'm pretty happy about that mm-hmm. and I feel good about it it's when I'm disingenuous mm-hmm. and I'm trying to like outdo my competition just by being more like them that I just feel really uncomfortable yep. and I start to feel like I'm not doing as good of a job as this person. Well, yeah, because I'm trying to do what they're doing and I'm right. not as good at it. <laughs> and that's not your, that's not authentic to you. When I do what I'm doing, when I do what I'm good at, I don't really care how many people are paying exactly. attention because I just know like this is my, you know, I like, I made a joke the other day um, and I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard <laughs> in my entire life. And like, no one seemed to think what it was, was the funny. joke. I was just talking about global warming and how like, you know, some of us believe that Rachel Maddow is sitting in the sky with a giant space heater, like contributing to the great hoax that is global warming but like she's not right and like f off and global did you put this on was it on it was on my instagram stories and i just thought like it was the funniest thing like i sent the video <laughs> to my husband and i was like look how funny i am and uh it just didn't seem to resonate <laughs> and that's okay and like i didn't really even care because right. i thought i was so funny exactly it's when i do something i'm like oh i haven't like promoted this or done that in a while and i tried like i try too hard and then that yep. falls flat yep. That's when I just feel like, ew, why did I do that? Yeah. I feel icky. Yeah. It's like icky. I'm just saying something just to say it. And exactly. I don't feel comfortable. Or like, um, you know, today was like a really rough day with the kids and I am going to share the one moment where both of them were smiling. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm kind of doing it just because right. everybody else in my feed has done it today. And like, I feel like I should, which is just so ridiculous. Just, no, exactly. But when you do what you like, when I'm storing and I feel excited about it and it's genuine and authentic, I'm like, I don't, it's the same thing. Like, I don't really care. I mean, yeah, I want people to see it and like it, but if they don't, I feel good about it. And, right. I, and it inspires me and motivates me. And that's fine. I will say something else that I'm actually, I'm, I'm not shy to say I'm very proud of myself for doing on social media, which is that I, I treat my kids like they're just small people. They're not like, they're not children mm-hmm. in that sense of the world that they're like, they don't have as many rights and privileges as me. They're just small. They're, they're people who've just started their lives, but mm-hmm. they're a hundred percent people just as I am an hundred percent person. Yeah. I'm not going to post a photo of them having an absolute meltdown. No. Um, because you know, they're actually really, really upset in that moment. And even though it might be funny to us, like she doesn't want to blow out her birthday candles or whatever it is. Like, I don't feel like that's a respectful action. And I don't mind saying that. I know that there are a lot of people who are going to listen to that and disagree with me, but my ultimate goal with Selma, sometimes I'll make a quip about like how she, you know, really didn't like that. We couldn't watch a 12th episode of Peppa. Cause that's funny, but I'm not going to post a picture of her like in the morning having a meltdown because no. she doesn't want to go to school. 
because it's funny to me. Like, right. oh, here we are again. Like, she doesn't want to put on her pants, so she's going to scream for, like, 12 hours. Like, yes, it's funny to say that, but, like, I think she's going to get older and she's going to see this stuff. And I think uh-huh. all of our kids are. And, like, I want her to know that I respected her. She's exactly. a person with feelings. In that moment, that was the most important thing to her in the entire world. And she trusted me with that meltdown. She mm-hmm. doesn't have those kind of meltdowns with her teachers. She right. has them with me. With you. Because she's safe with me. And I never want her not to feel safe exactly. with me. And I never want her to go on some sort of social media platform and see that I've like exposed her in mm-hmm. her most vulnerable moments because it wasn't funny to her. It was at all. She was having a meltdown. And she to her, that was everything. And these are minor examples. I mean, I've but seen it's all much more extreme. Three. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's just not our kids aren't our pawns. They're their no. own people. Right. And, and, and it's funny because a lot of times, like on my podcast, I've had a lot of mothers on and I've asked, including you, and I've asked, you know, what is your stance on social media with your kids? I love how you put that. And I feel like I have heard that where they're like, look, I'm not going to put them on there having a meltdown, but I'm going to show their life. Like I'm not going to not show their face. Right. And I love how you're like, I respect them. They are little, they're people. And yeah. I respect them and I don't want them in 10 years, 20 years to look back and be like, my mom put me crying hysterically. On. Like, I, I, I like that. I love your stance on it. And they're not, thank you. And they're not people who are like, they fit into our narrative. They have their own narrative. Yes. And so I think I see a lot of parents kind of trying to like write their children into whatever they think is going on for their children, mm-hmm. but that's not the case. Right. And like, I know from my own personal experience that that really stifles someone's own sense of themselves and and what they really have to say. No, I love, and I love how you said like Selma doesn't have fits with her teachers, but she feels safe with you. And you're, I love that. That's such a good point. Like it's almost like, yeah, you don't necessarily want them to be having a meltdown, but she's going to have a meltdown. I mean, I'm the one she trusts the most. That's kind of sweet. I try to think of it that way. I mean, every day. When you're that's in the middle of it. Tell, that's what I tell myself. Like there's that post-school meltdown. They get in the car and it just all comes out. Yeah, I'm sure. And somebody <laughs> said to me a few weeks ago, you know, that's because she feels safe with you. She's at school all day. Yep. She has to play by the rules and she gets home and she can just freak out. And that's because she feels and like treasure that because yeah. you're so lucky. It's the kids who don't like feel safe with you where you there, there's a problem. And they bottle it up. I'm they sure, bottle yeah. it up and they don't have a safe place to go. Um, so I, I try to treasure that some days it's harder than <laughs> some others. Days you're like, give me wine. <laughs> Three isn't a joke. Um, but <laughs> I've heard that. I, uh, heard it's that. really not. And like, well, and you have I, a little one. I mean, you have two kids. <laughs> I think I also have like, I get like bad karma every time I have like a good day and I'm like trying to tell another parent like, Oh, well, like, have you tried this or tried that? And then I get home and like, there's literally nothing I could try or do anything differently. Like this is just a meltdown that's it, like going to happen. And it just has to work yeah, itself out. Yeah. And I think life is just kind of trying to teach me like, you can read all the books, but I'll throw something at you that you haven't read it's, about. There was something you said, speaking of the books, you said something, I think it was on one of our two episodes on my podcast about how, did I ask you like how, did you read parenting books before? We talked about this, I think, and you said there was only like one, like you, what did you, did you I read parenting books? I just read one yes. per, like one per season That's of my said. child's yeah. life. Yeah. So like right now I'm reading this book called How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen and Listen So Little Kids Will Talk, which is based off of the How to Talk So Kids Will Listen book. Right. This book is for tw- two to two to seven year olds. And okay. the other one is for like seven to 12 year olds or something. And I love this book. It's really helping me. If I read like 12 other books, I've got 12 other mm-hmm opinions and they're all conflicting with each other and I get super confused. So you just have to find what works for you and your kid. I like to do one book per year, one book per chapter yeah. and that's kind of it. I take what I like and I leave the rest. I love that. And and it's so you're you don't have all this information and you're not 
asking all the, all your friends for opinions and then you'd have 35 things coming in your mind like how do you know what to do I, I don't I mean there and there's there's also just I understand now that I have two kids like all children are different so there's a lot of schools of thought that say like timeouts are like the new spanking like we don't do that anymore right. timeouts don't work timeouts make children resent us I remember getting in timeout when I was a kid and I absolutely hated being in timeout that said I've read a lot of books and sometimes with my three-year-old we talk it out as much as we can. We, we go through all the tricks in the book basically. And we're still not behaving in a way that's remotely acceptable. And there needs to be some sort of consequence for that. And there are other books that talk about timeouts and when to like, when to enforce them and Mm -hmm. like how to do them. And so it's sort of a mix of like really playing. She's very playful. Like she loves it when we come into a room in the morning and we like speak in a British accent, like we're Peppa Pig and Peppa Pig wants to get her dressed up in the morning. She loves stuff like that. She doesn't really like getting dressed in the morning. So I'll like take her pants and to be like, I'm going to eat Selma's leg. And like, she likes to play along okay. with us. And that, that works. That, that works great. But then when she's still melting down and she's like screaming or really like not speaking to us very nicely, it's like something else kind of has to come into play. Yeah. And we've pulled out all the other tricks. So we're kind of really still navigating this. Um, but I just think it's sort of like you have to cater to each child. Mm-hmm. My other daughter, Violet, she's only seven months old, but she's already like, she has absolutely nothing in common with Selma as far as the way that they were as babies. Wow. And I can already just kind of see her needing something completely different. And so if you were to apply one mm-hmm. set of instructions, if you will, to each kid, that wouldn't make any sense. Oh, and there how? is no yeah. dogma. Like there's just like, it's just like, what kind of kid do you have? And we're, and just focusing on that kid and their needs and then the other kid and their needs. Exactly. I mean, I imagine like, I just imagine it's, I mean, especially social media, but you know, friend, your friends have kids. They do this with their kid. Like it's, you really have to, even with motherhood, really, you have to stay in your lane, right? Like you can't look at your friend's kid who's sleeping through the night and your kid's not sleeping through the night. You'll drive yourself crazy. You'll drive yourself crazy. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I can't even. Oh, the other thing that just was totally nuts was we sleep trained Selma, Mm. which like in some schools of parenthood is just considered like, oh my God, I'm going to psychologically damage her for the rest of her life. And in others it's looked at, (laughs) Julie just made a I was like, why would that damage them? Um, And then in other schools of parenting, it's like the only way. And so I was like dogmatic about how important sleep training was. I even taught a course on sleep Mm -hmm. training. I think it is incredibly important, but now I think it's incredibly important for some children. Violet slept through the night very quickly. When I put Violet down, if she starts screaming, it's because there's something really wrong. She's not the type of kid who can cry it out for like 12 minutes until I come back and pat her on the butt. Like last night I put her down, she started screaming. She was actually like starving. And she like throughout the day didn't really like want that much to eat because she pretty mild mannered and didn't really express to me that she was hungry until like the final hour. And so when I put her down and she was screaming, I knew something was wrong. That's my way of knowing something's wrong. Selma didn't want to go to sleep at night, which is still the case. And it was really important that we enforce the rules. You know, we sleep from seven to seven. We come in once at night. That's it. You can have one visit. That's it. Right. And um, with Violet, it's really different. She's not going to like ask for those types of things. Mm -hmm. It's only really if something's really wrong. So sleep training her with a type of rigidity that we sleep train Selma would have been kind of cruel and unusual. Uh, Right. Right. And I understand all the parents who said to me, like, I don't understand how you could do that. Well, they probably had a kid like Violet. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. It's like kids are just different from one another. And they're like, uh, as I was saying, there's just, there's no dogma. There's no right way. And if I could change anything about the way I parented the first time, it was like, I had this one kid kid and I was figuring out how to parent her. And as I figured that out, I thought I'd figured out parenting. That's not figuring out parenting. Right. You're just figuring out parenting one kid. With that one kid. Yeah. Right. It's right. a whole other story with the next one and the next one. So don't go out telling some mom that you've figured out how to hack life. I mean, I remember seeing kids with parents with kids who 
weren't sleeping through the night. And I was like, well, you should sleep train. You should do this. Right. You should, I mean, maybe their kid has like reflux or something that I've right. never had to deal with. You just don't know. You don't know. Like. So yeah. you can't really tell someone what you don't know their kid no. at all or what goes on behind closed doors. You don't know any of that. Exactly. It's so true. Well, I just wish your kids were here right now. I was like, I wish Violet was here. I know we had Violet here oh. last time and she was just a little fussy. It was during her nap time. And I was like, I'm going to have the podcast with the kid crying in the background. <laughs> and no one's going to listen because there's always that kid crying. I know with me, when I hear a kid crying, in the background, I, I mean, like, my hormones are just like, oh, my God, like, let me rock you. Like, <laughs> and if I was listening to a podcast where a kid was crying in the background, I wouldn't be able to listen. Like, I'd have to turn it off. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah. my God. Well, we have champagne instead. It's fine. Oh, it's the best. Yeah, we have champagne. <laughs> no, I just, I'm oh, I'm just so excited for your podcast. I feel like, as Laura said at the very beginning, she's like, Julie's always in support of my, you know, thing. But, you know, I didn't know if she was just saying she liked the idea. Like, Laura's meant to do this. I, I mean, come on. You are meant. Thank, say thank you. Thank you. you. <laughs> She's looking at me like, what are you doing? No, but you, this is like, this is so neat. And I, and I don't know of another podcast that's marrying the politics with the motherhood and everything in between, but I just, I love it. I'm just really honored that I'm on it. Thank you. I'm honored to have you. I'm really honored to have oh, you. Oh, thank, thank you, you Julie. so much. Thank you. So Laura's been on two of mine as well. So you should definitely listen to him if you want to hear more from Laura. Oh yeah. We t- what did we talk about on your podcast? Motherhood and postpartum and um, starting the podcast. We had two episodes. All right. So if you just Google or type Go in Laura Baxter. Go check out yeah. filter and subscribe. Julie is the funniest. No, I listen to her in, on your commute. You will laugh and laugh. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming, Julie. Thank you for having me. And thank you guys for joining us for this episode of Look Ma No Hands. If you want to follow along on Instagram, you can find me at Laura Max Rose and on the Look Ma No Hands website, lmnhpodcast.com. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. 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 Bye.